Speedy Cole's Hell Driving Show, Sunday, October 10th, 2 p.m. Be sure to see Speedy Cole and his Hell Drivers at the Fort Walton Motor Speedway. Do the wall crashing ramp driving human ram. House crash, ice crash, car roll, crash dive, high skies, car jump. There'll be thrills and spills and cars demolished. Speedy Cole and his Hell Drivers tear them up. If your nerves are bad and can't stand excitement, don't come. At the Fort Walton Motor Speedway, Fort Walton, Florida. Admission is $1.50. <laughs> I, I yeah, thought that was a fun ad. What did, Does that ring any, bring back any oh, memories? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I went to that. You know, it was amazing to, 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 to see those cars jump those ramps like that. You know, that's what I remember most about that. Hello, Flashbackers. Hopefully I didn't jolt the holiday cheer out of you with that intro. As you may have guessed, we are talking about the racetrack on Racetrack Road again, but from the perspective of someone who spent a lot of time there. Opening today's episode is James Ward. He's lived here most of his life, and when he was 10 or 11, he remembers this town, our town, a little different than it is today. He reached out to me not long after our Racetrack episode came out. A big part of his childhood memories center around the racetrack, a.k.a. the Fort Walton Motor Speedway. Welcome to Flashback. Welcome to Flashback, a podcast by the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. Get ready to dust the nostalgia off your sleeve as we talk with Okaloosa citizens who share with us how things used to be. I'm your host, Nick Tomacek. It's time to step into your imaginary DeLorean, tap your flux capacitor, and flashback. The racetrack on Racetrack Road opened in 1952 and was located, well, off of Racetrack Road, where the current Stillwell Park is. It's a county-maintained park. It was a half-mile dirt racing track that held car racing, horse racing, wrestling, other such things. And when the track wasn't being used, the Fort Walton minor league baseball team, the Jets, played there. Most of that land out there was farmland and um and, and residential, there wasn't much commercial out there back in those days. Mm-hmm. The racetrack was a round-around track, and we had our favorite cars. Car number B2 was my favorite car. I don't know, every week I'd go out there and want to watch B2. Now, who owned it? I have no idea. We'd start them off, and they'd, run, they'd race round-around, slide around the curves, that sort of thing. Real exciting racing. I had to check out what this looked like, and I wanted to find James's B2 car. Luckily, in the 1950s, video and TV was becoming more and more common, and I found some footage of the car James were talking about. These were what were called modified sportsman cars. They were mostly Fords. Chevrolet started competing later on, and according to James, was the impetus for the Chevy Corvette. But anyway, the cars sometimes labeled as jalopies or old junker cars by the announcers would line up like you see in today's races, and these things would tear around the track, sliding every which way on dirt. The cars weren't the most aerodynamic. To me, they looked like the type of car Dad would load the family up in and go get a Christmas tree like they did in the movie A Christmas Story. In one video, I saw about 100 cars lined up for the 1952 Daytona race. And in this video, it was a 100-mile race. This was before the Speedway was built, and the cars lined up on the beach about 50 feet from the Atlantic Ocean. They went around a sandy portion, and one portion was on a paved area. Some of the cars would lose a fender, some would get stuck in the soft sand, some flipped over. One car had the hood flipped up as it was going around the track. I'm not sure how he was able to see enough to drive, but he did. Made it into the pit stop so that the crew could hammer it off the car, and then the driver was off again. 
In that video, I did find a car 2B, and that was driven by NASCAR great Jack Smith. I showed that video to James, but he said he remembered his car to be B2, and that most of the boys racing here in Fort Walton were from Northwest Florida or Lower Alabama. James's favorite part of the racetrack, he said, was the baseball that was played out there by the Fort Walton Jets. They had the baseball, which um, which I became a real baseball fan out there. The Jets played there. Uh, I actually made the first money I ever made selling Coca-Colas and peanuts in the stand there. And I checked. I don't know who was in charge of the of the, of the car races, or the or the uh, um, the car races, or the wrestling. They had wrestling out there. We go out there to see the wrestling sometimes. Oh, so I don't know who was in charge of all those because I was, you know, I was too young to to be involved in all that sort of thing. I was maybe ten years old, um, but it was a lot of fun, really exciting for a ten-year-old kid to go out there and 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 cars and the racing and and the baseball. Everybody get fired up about baseball. Um, back then, you know, you didn't, you didn't have television. And radio, you had radio, but one on on radio at night. And we go to the we go to the, to the Jets games, and they were exciting because everybody was there was a big crowd and people get all fired up. And umpires, they didn't like umpires call. Oh, they, 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 they. Some nights they turn the have to turn the lights out and um, and get the umpires out over the out over the outfield fence to get the umpires away at night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You know, the jet games, everybody was there, and it was rowdy, and uh, it was just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, and I'd sell Coca-Colas and peanuts, and, and I could make me about anywhere from 3 to $5 a night, which was a lot of money to me. Uh, uh, I, I graduated up to the bat boy for the visiting team. You know, got to see all those players, Neil Cobb, and I got to pull bats for, for, for Neil and became friends with him when I was just a kid. Neil Cobb was a Baker, Florida native, and led the Florida-Alabama League in hits in 1954. He eventually was named the Crestview Chief of Police and continued a dual role as a baseball semi-pro and chief of police for a while. Here's James Ward again. Then, you know, I don't know, what was it, 25 years later or whatever it was, I ran for the legislature. Um, Neil was a big supporter of mine. He was up here in the north end of the county, and 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 he was he ran the bus barn for Max Booner, and so he was a big supporter of mine. So it helped me with that through the years. Wow. But, uh, Time is constructed in each of our minds differently, but I think it's safe to say that it's relative. To my ten-year-old son, uh, one year is a lifetime. To me, and maybe many of you, ten years just went by when you just blinked. You faithful listeners will remember tellings from our guests that speak of an agricultural Okaloosa County, a place where cattle roamed the dirt roads and kids could walk or ride their bike anywhere they wanted to without fear of being robbed or run over by texting motorists. In the 1950s, James Ward was a youngster. But guys, it really wasn't all that long ago that our roads were dirt and your neighbor walked his cow during the day and watched wrestling, pro baseball, and car racing just a few blocks away by night. Well, like I say, it was pretty much residential, with even some cattle down there on the uh, on the far end of it, the west end of it, close to Beale Street. There's people had some cattle down there, huh. riding where uh, 
um, more walk comes into it. There was a lot of cattle right in there. Silas Gibson owned a lot of it. Oh, yeah, he owned, yeah. He owned land all the way from, uh, he owned land all the way from Cinco Bridge all the way through to, uh, to back behind Walmart where the Sox Cat Place is now. He owned all of that land. You can imagine that. Big wow. Big Here's a little background on Silas Gibson. I found a December 1976 article in the Playground Daily News that recounted Silas's life. They interviewed him when he was 91 years old. I'll read a little from it because it kind of sums up who he was to the public. Gibson is one of the early pioneers in Okaloosa County, the article goes on to say, having settled in what was then called Camp Walton in 1916 after arriving from western Canada in search of a milder climate and fertile land. Gibson recalls the first visit to this area was on a paddle wheel steamer from Pensacola called the Captain Fritz. He was on his way to look at property in Santa Rosa, Walton County, which was being developed and advertised by northern companies when the steamer made a stop at the docks in front of the Gulfview Hotel. During the stop over, he first met Captain John Brooks, who persuaded him to look at property in Wright, and this is where he settled. The article says that he planted the first pecan orchard in the area, and with the beginning of three dairy cows brought from Pensacola on the Captain Fritz, he started the first dairy in the Camp Walton area. And when this article was written, it says that many of the majestic pecan trees can still be seen on the land around the Wright Shopping Center. I'm not sure if that's still the case. I did not investigate that part. When the United States became involved in World War I, Germany cut off their supply of dye to this country. And it was about this time that dye ore was discovered in evidence along the beaches of what is now known as the old Port Dixie subdivision. We know now Black Point, a firm from New Orleans, contracted with Gibson to build and operate a plant to extract the ore from the soil and ship it via paddle wheel steamer to Pensacola's port of embarkation. The dye mine was mentioned in a previous episode based on Shalimar, but I failed to mention in that episode that one of the tragedies from the mine claimed the life of one of Silas's sons. In a 1918 article from the Pensacola News Journal, it describes the incident. Here's that article about uh, the tragedy at the dye, near the dye plant. Silas Gibson Jr., six-year-old son of Silas Gibson, was drowned in Choctahatchee Bay opposite the dye plant. Mr. Gibson and his three young children went out in his launch to haul the Captain Fritz. It is stated that he ran too close to the steamer, capsizing and wrenching the launch. Mr. Gibson and the children were thrown into the water and were carried under the steamer. The father succeeded in supporting his youngest children, aged three and four, until a boat from the steamer picked them up. The little boy, Silas Jr., disappeared and his body was never recovered. Pretty tragic stuff. At the close of the war, Gibson was sufficiently established as a pioneer builder and contractor, and thus, the article says, he began to build the first county buildings and roads. He built the Niceville High School, Milligan School, Wright Elementary, Camp Walton School, and many other public buildings. In the middle 1920s, with a great number of mule teams and plenty of manpower, he built the first state road from Niceville to Crestview. He later built the Mossy Head to Niceville Road and several smaller county jobs. Gibson's business, his dairy cow business, grew and grew and grew. Um, he eventually encouraged others to start buying land in the area. 
Um, he started selling off some of the lots in the right area. And uh, he's known by many for his organic gardening in his later years. He, in one article before his 91st birthday, I think he was around 80, I remember one article saying they asked him the secret to a long life, and uh, he said he didn't eat a lot of meat. He always had vegetables. The article gave him a little salute at the end and said he was a friend to the people in the county, made it possible for hundreds of families to own their own land and homes long before there were banks or lending in the this area. So kind of a neat article, kind of sums it up who Silas Gibson was in this area and, and kind of why James Ward recognized his name and uh, as somebody of, of great influence during his time. Now during this time, Okaloosa County was in transition. I guess you could say we're always transitioning, but during this time, Okaloosa County was still had that agricultural part in the south end with a scattering of casinos, nightclubs, and yes, this racetrack on Racetrack Road. Oh, you can't you can't imagine what a great place it was to grow up for a kid like me. We lived in Garner's Beach, uh, and my brother and I could walk down to that park and dive in the in that in that hole there at Garner's Beach Park and we would spearfish and, and shoot sheephead and and grouper and all sorts of fish in that in that hole down there, Garner's Beat Park. James remembers his time as a youngster fondly. He remembers growing up playing football and baseball for Choctahatchee High School, going to FSU and eventually making it back to work at his dad's glass company. He eventually was tasked to work with the Water Management District, later was elected to the state legislature, serving five successful terms in office. He received national recognition for his role in the community control program that eventually evolved into what we know as ankle bracelets for criminal offenders. That idea went national and it all began here in Florida. That helped alleviate jail overcrowding and helped save taxpayer money. It definitely does sound like a great place to live. And I think Okaloosa County still is a great place to live. As things change, the people seem to remain the same. In general, a caring group of people looking out for each other. And it appears that out there, there are countless stories to be told, including 10-year-old James Ward's story. That's going to do it for this episode of Flashback. I want to say thanks to James Ward for his time. The theme music for Flashback is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. If you have an idea for an episode of Flashback, shoot me an email to OC. P-I-O at myokaloosa.com. That's O-C-P-I-O at myokaloosa.com. I produced and edited this episode for the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. For all of us at the Okaloosa County Board of County Commissioners, thanks for listening, and I'll see you around town.